You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. There's an adage that goes, sports and athletics represent a sacred, apolitical middle ground, a place where we meet without conflict outside of the sport being played. That's the ideal behind the Olympic Games, for example. It's the ideal that we put forth when we call professional baseball or football, quote, America's game, or refer to a specific team as, quote, America's team. It implies that though we leave politics and differences at the stadium gates and partake in the joy and entertainment of sport as a unified body. But of course, we all know that's not universally true. And there's a question, was it ever true in America? And are we seeing today a manifestation of something that is inherently American, the overlap of sports and politics, and in this case, most recently, race? Is it possible that the political upheaval in the NFL right now, boycotting on both the left and the right political spectrum, could feed into the dissolution of football as a powerhouse sport. But what does it say more generally about America and our culture? We want to spend the rest of the show today talking about that subject. And of course, we want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. 313-577-1019. What do you think of this overlap that we are seeing? Tremendous overlap right now between politics and sports and race, do you think that is part of the point of sports? The one of the reasons that uh, that we think of sports as being so important is the ability to sort of help think through these larger issues through the lens of athletic competition. Or do you think that ruins it? Uh, that that makes sports unenjoyable when politics or race get injected. Into it. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag us at Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk about this subject is Dave Zirin. He's a sports correspondent for The Nation and author of eight books on the politics of sports. Dave, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So my, my little thesis here is that we've always dealt with the overlap here of uh, sports with other issues. I, I do think there's something different and maybe fundamentally different about uh, the way in which those overlaps are playing out right now with regard to the sure. NFL. Uh, but, but talk about this sort of uh, reach back to history that we're that that I think uh, we're not really talking that much about right now. That that what we're seeing with Colin Kaepernick and Donald Trump and owners and all of these things, we've played this out many times in in American history. Well, that's certainly true. I mean, what's different about now, though, um, in relation to at least recent decades past, is that athletes are talking back. And we often say sports and politics do not mix, but what we really are saying when we say that is that sports and resistance politics do not mix, yes. or sports and athletes imposing their political will on a situation does not mix. Because if we're talking just sports and politics, 
as you folks in Detroit know all too well, I mean, the politics in sports are everywhere, particularly in the issue of stadium construction, the spending of billions of dollars uh, in public money to build them, Mm -hmm. whether we're talking about the rituals that involve patriotism and the military before games that in the NFL, at least, happened because of what was a formal economic relationship between the NFL and the Department of Defense. So these politics that exist in sports have always, always been there. Uh, We've just chosen not to remark upon them. But when you go back into many decades past, and we're now talking four or five decades ago, Mm -hmm. um, then you're talking about situations like the 1960s, and it is difficult to even speak about the 1960s historically without speaking about the intervention of athletes like uh, Muhammad Ali, Tommy Smith, and John Carlos, Bill Russell, and then into the 70s with people like Billie Jean King. So it's difficult to speak about these eras without speaking about these athletes. Certainly the early years of the civil rights movement, you can't really speak about them without speaking about Jackie Robinson and the integration, not just of baseball, but other sports. Um, I think what's different right now also is that sports culturally have never been more hegemonic in our society. I mean, there was a time when sports was just one other element of community cohesion. I mean, people had, you know, the local uh, Elks Club or what have you, the Moose Lodge, (laughs) uh, the Bowling League. I mean, there were all sorts of things that, people had that were elements of community cohesion with sports. Another part of that, you know, we could put religion in there too. Uh And those institutions have frayed dramatically in recent decades. We're a much more atomized society. And sports has been this kind of last refuge of people who want to feel like they're in a collective space. And that space is right now as polarized as the rest of our society. Sure. Sure. Uh, I wonder if um, so. So if we go back, if we go back to the 1960s, of course, uh, uh, and 1968, uh, the 1968 Olympics in in Mexico City, uh, you you see exactly what you're talking about in terms of athletes taking it upon themselves to to embrace resistance politics uh, in in the in the form of sport and sport demonstration. Talk about the reaction then and how different or similar it is to the reaction now to someone like Colin Kaepernick. That's a terrific question to do this compare and contrast uh, in terms of the reaction. First and foremost, what you said about athletes taking politics into their own hands. Um, I want to say this for your listeners, because a lot of folks only know about that moment in 1968 where Tommy Smith and John Carlos raised their fists from the medal stand with silver medalist Peter Norman standing in solidarity with them. A lot of folks don't know that it was not just a moment, but a movement called the Olympic Project for Human Rights. And what you the way you said it is so perfect, like this idea of taking it into their own hands. What were they taking into their own hands? They were very upset in a way that I think is now, historically, we look back and say, of course, they had every right to be upset, because South Africa and Rhodesia, which were apartheid countries, uh, were part of the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And that was a demand to remove South Africa and Rhodesia from the Olympic Games. They wanted Avery Brundage fired as head of the International Olympic Committee. Avery Brundage uh, was somebody who was a Hitler sympathizer in the 1930s. I mean, somebody whose politics were just 
horrific and repressive, and they wanted more uh, black assistant coaches hired. I believe there was only one on the entire U.S. track and field team in 68, and they wanted more opportunities for black athletes. So we look, I think we look back now and say, hey, they were right to protest, but at the time they were absolutely vilified for doing what they did and raising the issues that they were raising. And that's, I think, worth remembering for folks whose instinct is to vilify Colin Kaepernick or athletes now who are protesting police brutality and um, criminal inequities in, in our justice system. I mean, that you know, we tend to look back on people who risk their jobs for moral reasons. We tend to look back on them much more positively than we do in the present. Now, the biggest difference between now and then, and I, and I just want to say, I say this as somebody who wrote a book with John Carlos, the 1968 Olympian, uh-huh. and, and I sat with John Carlos on his couch looking. He kept all his hate mail from 68, all the death threats. He kept all those letters. And I read the letters. I held them in my hand. And the things that was so striking to me, and this speaks about the differences between 68 and today, mm-hmm. is that you know people were, were throwing down death threats. People were using all kinds of racial slurs. People were saying that he was ashamed to this country, that he was spitting on the flag, all of this. But nobody said he was anti-military. The military never came into the picture. Right. It wasn't even in people's mental space to say, how dare you do this to our brave men and women in the armed forces? That is a much more recent line of attack, which mm. is a way of shutting down dissent, if you think about it. It's like you dare raise any issue, an issue that has nothing to do with the military, Iraq, Afghanistan, anything, and immediately you're accused of being anti-military. It's anti-military and, debates. and anti-American. I mean, and uh, anti-American. Well, yeah. that existed in 68, no doubt. But the, the particular intervention of saying that you are slandering the men and women in uniform, no matter, and today, I mean, no matter how many men and women in uniform have come forward and mm-hmm. said, actually, we support these protests, or at the very least, we support the right to protest, or that's why we're over there fighting, so people have the right <laughs> to protest. No matter how many times you see that on social media and the count is literally infinite at this. Well, not literally, but the count is seems infinite in terms of the number of uh, troops who have made that point. It doesn't matter. It's still used as this kind of right wing smackdown on anybody who dares uh, dissent during the flag and during the anthem. Yeah, that's the big difference. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Dave Zirin. He's a sports correspondent for The Nation, author of eight books on the politics of sports. We're talking about the politics of sports, the overlap between sport and politics and race, which we are being reminded of right now with the NFL protests and the reaction to those protests. What do you think about all of that, and where do you think it fits in the history of sport in America? Is this something that we've always dealt with? Uh, Is this a new iteration of something we've always dealt with? Is it somehow different uh, in the age of Colin Kaepernick and Donald Trump? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there or uh, go to Twitter and hashtag us. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Brian in Detroit, uh, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh-huh. Hey, how y'all doing today? Good. How are you? All right. Uh, being a person of color, you, I can't watch sports and escape being who I am. 
And then on the other end, as watching sports, you, you tend to see that they criticize black players a lot differently than they criticize white players. Mm-hmm. So you still get that racial bias, even trying to escape by watching so-called by watching sports. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, that's a great that's a great point. And it sort of dovetails with something that I've been uh, having a, a sort of extended argument with some folks about. Uh, people say that I'm making too much of an issue of race because I keep bringing it up. We talk about it here on the show. I write it about it in my column at the Detroit Free Press. And my answer often is, well, you tell me what day of the week or month of the year that I don't have to be an African-American living in a society that puts less value on my life than on other people's. I mean, the idea that you can somehow escape race uh, in America is is a very strange uh, conceit to me. And I guess that applies to sports, too. Uh, would, would you agree with that, Dave Zirin? Yeah, yeah, and there's another thing I would say about that as well, is that this is not a new discussion. As long as there has been organized sports in this country, the question of race has been at the heart of it for a very simple reason. When sports first became organized, uh, they were actually integrated after the Civil War, but then only became segregated with the advent of Jim Crow and the defeat of radical reconstruction in the South. So there is this 15, 20-year grace period after the Civil War when organized sports were starting, and they were, in fact, integrated. And so when they become segregated, they became segregated at the same time. Um, I would argue, like, like somewhat coincidentally, at the same time, they become segregated at the time where the United States starts imposing itself on the world as, you know, and sports became this space where they said, this is where, you know, the U.S., is, proves itself as a level playing field and a meritocracy, and this is where we train our new generation of leaders on the athletic field. And then you had black Americans say, well, wait a minute, you know, like if it's truly a meritocracy and I'm better than that white player, Why am I how about playing? I get in the boxing ring? How yeah. about I get on the field and prove myself? So sports it becomes this incredible staging ground for the morality play of race in the United States. And it always has been. But to deny that is ahistorical. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about the overlap of sports, race, and politics. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Karen and Laura in Detroit, Jason in Dearborn, Stephen in Detroit. We'll get to you. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Dave Zirin. He's sports correspondent for The Nation and an author of eight books on the politics of sports. Uh, we're talking about the overlap of sports, politics, and race as it exists now, as it has existed through our history. Uh, let's go to Karen in Detroit. Karen, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, good morning, Stephen. Uh, Thank you for taking my call and hearing the discussion. I wanted to interject a term I heard about recently called civic religion that I think may play a part in the discussion with your sports columnist. And uh, as I understand it, it's the concept of upholding the flag and other symbols to such an extent 
that it, if it becomes misguided and just takes over the worship of religion huh. or a god, it becomes idolatry. It was a French concept of sociology. I heard about it um, uh, by the Sunday service of the pastor at Second Baptist Church, a Reverend Dr. Thurman, who himself is a Yale Divinity graduate and a member of the military. Uh-huh. And he said when he took his oath in the military, it was to defend the Constitution. And he, he said the discussion going now with the athletes in the NFL and their protest that what is being said, that it's been blemished by the fact that it's upholding the flag to such an extent that it has become misguided. It's, it's misplacing. Idolatry. Yeah, that's uh, Karen. Flag and patriotism supersedes yeah. all, and it has obscured and eclipsed the whole issue. Right. I had never heard the term civic religion before. <laughs> I thought it was fascinating. So that I is fascinating. I am. columnist or you yourself yeah. had heard of that term. I'm very glad you called and uh, interjected that into the conversation. Dave Zyron, I'll give you first crack at, uh, at answering that. Well, certainly, I, I have heard folks talk about how uh, football and sports have become something of a civic religion, particularly when you think about its place on Sunday and the role of our uh, of our stadiums mm-hmm. as being like a form of megachurch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've seen this in cities like Houston, for example, where the summit, where the Houston Rockets used to play, uh, that's Joel Osteen's church now. Yes. Uh, yes. And he was able to get it for just a very small amount of money from the Houston City Council. I mean, so these, there is this element of idolatry um, in sports, and of course, patriotism can be a form of, of idolatry as well. I mean, it's difficult. What's so distressing about it, though, is that we, we do not have a uniform idea of what patriotism even needs right. at this point. Right. So it's like, what kind of religion is it? It's not a religion that has a catechism or a, or, or some, some formed set of beliefs. It's a religion where you know people try to exercise their rights and are demonized for it. That, right. That's what we're looking at right now. And you have someone like Donald Trump, who I would argue has absolutely trashed this country, who at the same time is able to take a patriotic high ground simply because he's a, a rich white guy. Yeah, yeah. And so somehow he gets to have the final word on what patriotism is, even though he goes about absolutely trashing from our national parks right. um, to our institutions. what makes this country great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Karen, thank you again for that call and, and that comment. Uh, I really appreciate that. Let's go to Stephen in Detroit. Stephen, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call, and it's a great conversation. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to get both of your reactions to going back even further in history about this intersection with politics and race and sports, but also gender and the the famous fight between Jack Johnson and Jim Jeffries. Uh And there's a really wonderful book by, oh boy, I think it's Gail Biederman or Biederman called Manliness and Civilization. And in the very first part of that book, she a really incredible detailed summary of what was going on in the country around that fight uh-huh, uh-huh. around these questions of uh, not just whiteness but manliness and the idea that Jack Johnson was the heavyweight champion that the strongest man in the world could not be a black man right and the white community left and right 
you know, calling on Jim Jeffries to please come out and, you know, <laughs> you know, take back what is rightfully ours. Right, um, right. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Great, uh, great question, Stephen. Thank you for it. Uh, Dave Zyron, I'll give you uh, I'll give you first crack at that. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of ways to look at. First of all, this discussion we're having about race can absolutely be applied to the question of gender. Um, it's slightly different because, you know, when sports started in this country, uh, black and white were simply segregated. But women were told there was no place for them at all on the athletic field. Right. So from point one, women had to fight just for the right to play. And, of course, it's not just about play. It's about health. Uh, it's about friendship. It's about access to community. Something women were denied and have always had to fight for. And, uh, and so, so just putting that out there. Uh, second about uh, Jack Johnson and Jim Jeffries, what's so remarkable when you look back on that fight um, is the tropes that were used to deny Jack Johnson even a chance to fight for the heavyweight title, which he won against Tommy Burns, and then he was defending it against Jeffries. And the tropes that were used were not just that Jack Johnson lacked the mental acuity to deserve a fight for a heavyweight battle. I mean, and that's a trope that certainly has we've heard throughout the decades but that he lacked the physical ability. Mm-hmm. And this was essentialized and generalized in racial terms, saying that black people actually lacked the athletic ability to compete in sports. Yes. So it's remarkable how fungible, if you will, uh, these stereotypes can be and how mutable they can be because their really only only purpose is to deny people equal access and yeah. opportunity. Yeah, I was going to I was going to go to that point first this idea that the commonality that's shared is not the point of the discrimination, it's the motivation of discrimination. It's this idea that somebody who is not like you uh, is somehow so different uh, as to be disqualified from from uh, from performance or achievement in the world of sport, and of course that mirrors the discrimination that goes on uh, in society more generally with with lots of things outside the world of sport. Okay, Dave Zirin, sports correspondent at The Nation, author of eight books on the politics of sports. Thank you very much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thank you so much. Sure. That's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. Uh, Detroit Today is produced by Laurel Edward Davis and Jake Neer. Program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And associate producer is Gus Navarro. The Detroit Today theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. This is 1019 WDET Detroit, Detroit's public radio station, community service of Wayne State University. I will see you tomorrow.